OTB. Don't shoot, don't, don't shoot. Oh, oh he dinged it. Oh! oh! It's a goal! It's a OTB live commentary. Never miss the action right here on OTB Sports Radio. Keep up to date with the latest scores on the OTB Sports app. The OTB Sports app. Live score updates straight to your phone. The OTB Podcast Network. With Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein-powered chicken bites. Rugby on Off the Ball. With Vodafone. Official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. Team of us. Everyone in. So all week here on Off the Ball, we've been running a series around the future of Irish sport. It is a vast topic. We've already touched on PE in schools, player development. We've talked about participation and dropout rates around resources for underprivileged areas. And we're going to keep this discussion going over the coming days and weeks. We'd love your feedback as well. You can text us 53106. You can get in touch on social media at, at Off the Ball. If you're there on the ground, if you have any viewpoint, please do get in touch and we'll put it to the experts over the coming days and weeks. To continue the discussion right now, I'm delighted to be joined by the senior coach with Leinster Rugby, Stuart Lancaster. Good evening, Stuart. Evening, Nathan. How are you? Very well. This is an area that you're very familiar with. You've been well, working with the best of the best for the last decade or so, but previous to that, 20 years ago, you were working as a PE teacher. You've worked through academy level as well. So you've seen all sides of sport at this stage. Yeah, yeah. And I would also probably take it back to uh, my son and daughter started playing, um, obviously, sport at a young age. I coached my son. Well, my daughter played rugby as well, actually, um, uh, from under sixes upwards. So I guess you can go from under sixes all the way through to, I guess, top end European and international rugby. So yeah, I've covered it from every area, but the 10 years as a PE teacher were really formative um, in shaping my mindset on sport in general. And and also, I guess, probably the five years as an academy manager where there was some really good um, coach education around that time on on how to develop, uh, identify and develop talent and, you know, create create pathways for sustained excellence. What was your aim as a PE teacher? What did you feel your role was? Uh, my role, I felt, was to motivate and inspire um, young people to enjoy sport whilst they're at school, try and give them different uh, avenues that they could explore when they leave school. And I guess most importantly, try and give them an understanding of what a good and healthy lifestyle would look and feel like and to give them a passion or a, an experience that they could grab hold of and take into further life. You know, whether that's anything from swimming to gymnastics to badminton to hockey to soccer to rugby to health and fitness, you know, you name it. Um, I, I coached it really or taught it, um, as I'm sure a lot of schools do uh, also. Mm. There does seem to be, from what we've been hearing this week, a real disparity around the country, depending on the type of PE teacher you have, as to the type of experience you're getting, whether you're getting that wholesome view, that well-rounded view that will last you, whether you want to be a serious sports person or not, or whether you just want to play at the weekend socially, or just understand how important it is for your fitness, or actually maybe teachers who are focusing on another area who are thrown into PE. It is vital, it seems, for young children in particular to have the right person in that role as a PE teacher. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's probably worth probably exploring a little bit of the evolution of um, schools in, in, in England, I guess, or in the UK, just to give you some context of 
how it evolved. I'm, obviously, I'm less knowledgeable about the, the system in Ireland. But um, so when I first started, so this was, um, so I did a sports science degree, then a teacher training degree in, in 1991, 92. Um, and then I was, my first teaching job was at a school called Heesham High School uh, in Morecambe, right on the west coast of England. And um, we had Saturday, we had, it, was a, it was just a, you know, 11 to 18 comprehensive. Um, uh, but we had Saturday um, sport. So every Saturday we would have soccer teams, rugby teams, hockey teams, netball teams, all playing, even though it was a non, it wasn't, it wasn't a fee-paying school. Um, and uh, that tradition during the 90s in England really started to die out. So I went to my next school, Kelthorpe High School, uh, and we had fixtures, you know, we had athletics matches and cross-country fixtures and basketball fixtures and, you know, you name it. But it was all traditionally Monday to Friday and Saturdays and Sundays were very much um, family time or, or, you know, in my, my case, I played rugby at a weekend. Um, and, and gradually during the 90s, there was a um, teacher strikes and um, teachers became um, a bit disaffected with, you know, the support or um, the environments that they were working in. And as a consequence, like I said, there was these strikes at place. And a lot of the Saturday sport that used to happen in the state school system in, in, in England um, sort of fell by the wayside. And then the government came up with a what was called a school sports coordinator scheme. Um, and uh, basically people were appointed to develop um, expertise and talent within the primary schools. And then they would network secondary schools together uh, and basically be a support for the PE teachers or the people running the department. So there's a real um, consistency uh, and an excellence and a network set up, this almost pyramid that was set up with a partnership development manager who would look after the school sports coordinators. And it really was beginning to sort of take, take shape. And this is now the early 2000s, I think. And then for whatever reason, the government at the time just scrapped the whole scheme. Um, and from that point onwards, you know, we're almost back to worse than where we were when, when we were in the early 90s, you know, where there was less and less um, support for PE teachers. And, and you are right, it then became down to the enthusiasm and the commitment of that particular PE teacher or that particular PE department. Mm. And it's the same as any other subject that the personality of the teacher is going to be crucial to your enjoyment of it. It was interesting listening to Niall Moyna on Tuesday night where he was talking about still that culture, particularly around girls, of getting the note from the parents saying, actually, they, they don't want to take part in PE today. Can you let them skip it? And that the teacher feels under pressure to let them do that. From your point of view, I guess it's always easy as a PE teacher to deal with the whatever percentage, 50% who love sport and who want, and it's the highlight of their week getting out there. How did you treat the other 50% who maybe weren't that keen, who sport wasn't really something for them to make sure that actually they got the value out of PE that would still stick with them, even if it wasn't on a competitive level? Yeah, I, th I think, I think the, the, key, the key is to have a, a broad and balanced curriculum, you know, so it appealed to, to everyone. But equally, you know, if, it's, if, you're if, if you can motivate um, and create the right sort of session plan and, get, and lesson plan, and you differentiate for people of different abilities, you know, everyone could enjoy a badminton lesson or, you know, um, a, a gymnastics lessons or whatever. Uh, if you pitch it in the right way, you make it a games-based approach, you make it fun, you make it active. Um, you know, you, you pitch people with, um, uh, of similar ability together. Um, you don't, you don't um, look to make it elitist. You actually do the opposite, you know, you make it inclusive. Um, that was very much as, as I saw it, because you're right, you know, not everyone wanted to do every sport all the time. 
Um, but certainly uh, my experience for school I was at, which was which was 11 to 16 state school in, in West Yorkshire, um, the uptake and the um, motivation to take part in PE lessons was always high. Um, and we had a very good department, you know, we're all very like-minded. Um, and I guess one thing that changed as well, that we made it as the longer it went into my teaching career, the more we tried to make it less games focused all the time, more a balance between the, the, you know, the traditional games that we'd play in, in England, but also the more fitness training or personal training or the things that, you know, um, sometimes girls and boys would prefer to do, you know, whether it's circuit training or, you know, introduction to aerobics or to, you know, whatever it was at the time, hit training that, that you'd call it now. Um, so that was, that was very much our job. You know, that's your job as a teacher is to motivate, inspire and try and give people um, uh, motivation to want to exercise both within school, but more importantly, outside of school as well. Mm. It was interesting there, you were mentioned your children when they were younger and you were helping out, I presume, when they were playing sports. Jason Sherlock was on on Monday talking about Jim Gavin and how a lot of coaches of underage teams would look at Jim Gavin as an inspiration or the mini Mourinho's who were out there. And he was making the point how Jim Gavin as Dublin senior football manager is obviously going to be a very different person when he goes back to Ballyboden coaching his kids' teams because what he's doing with the Dublin senior footballers isn't relevant for an under-12 team. Yet strangely, a lot of other coaches are just looking at Jim Gavin, the coach of the Dublin senior football team, and they just want to be that, not realising it's not relevant for that particular age group. I'm sure you get lots of people coming to you for advice around coaching. How much do you feel of what you're doing, say, with Leinster, with the elite players right now, is relevant for coaches watching on who are involved in underage teams? Uh, it's not. No, it's not hugely. Um, I mean, obviously, it depends on... You know, there's a sliding scale here. You know, what you do with an under six team um, is different to what you do with an under ten or under twelve team. Is different to what you do with an under seventeen, under eighteen, under nineteen team. So it depends very much on the age range that you're coaching. But you know, my belief is certainly my philosophy at the time um, of coaching. You know, Daniel and Sophie's team was was to make it as inclusive again as possible. You know, and make it fun. Um, you know, it was a long, long way. You know, when you're coaching an under ten team, it's a long, long way from what professional rugby looks like. Um, you know, you want to make it safe, enjoyable, fun. Um, and, you know, what, what they really enjoyed was obviously getting the, the kit and feeling part of a team. But, you know, the result, you know, with all, with all due respect to the, to the level at the time, was, was irrelevant, really. Mm. You know, um, and, but you, you would see, you're right, you would see teams, you would see coaches who would constantly be um, uh, berating their own players on the sideline or the referee or, you know, uh, the win-at-all-cost mentality, which was just, you know, a nonsense, really, I thought. Um, I, I would spend a lot of time um, with the parents as well, trying to help the parents um, help the children as well. So I would do a lot of sort of parents' evenings and try and explain some of the techniques that we're doing or some of the things that they can practice in their own time because the kids would come, say, on a Sunday for two hours of mini rugby. Um, and I would, there's, a, there's, there's a great book called um, Finding the Champion in Your Child um, and how to get the best out of your child and how to ask the right questions. So you're not that super keen parent on the sideline who's living their lives through their children, you know? So, um, and we, we were big on fun and, and um, you know, the, the bit kids like as well is the post-match bit in the, in the bar or in the clubhouse, you know what I mean? Where you're having a bit of crack with the, with your mates and you, you know, you're eating your, your pine peas as it was in, in, in West Park and, uh, 
Um, so it was the package, really. You know, we mm. went on tour. Again, you know, it, did it matter if we win or lose? No, not really. Um, but you ultimately wanted to to develop them as people as well and, and see them grow. And that's that's the beauty of sport. You know, it teaches you a lot of lessons about life in general. And that's why, obviously, I'd be I'd be biased. That's why I think um, young players, young people playing sport is is crucial to to life skills. It's a hard balance, I'd imagine, when you're having those conversations, though, with parents, when you have, say, particularly talented players who are starting to get selected on representative teams who maybe can start thinking about a future in the game, whereas their child may not be at that level. But there are other skills and life skills that they can learn by being part of that team. Yet the focus so often is just on the elite guy. As, as it, 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 Did you find that difficult as a coach to, to get that um, balance? No, I didn't personally, um, but 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 um, I can see the point you're making. But I think that, again, it depends on the sport. But if you take a sport like rugby, you know, that sort of differentiation between the ones who are going to get selected for representative teams or, or you know, into sort of sub-academy or academy pathways, it only really happens around about 14, 15, 16 years old anyway. Um, and, you know, even then, there is still, you know, I could name you hundreds of players who were, elite or perceived elite at 16 who never really went on to make it and also equally i could name hundreds of people who weren't that super talented at 16 who went on to make it to play professional rugby so um you know it's a rugby rugby very much and, and a lot of sports are late specialization sports and the more sports that you can play as a young person the better you know so you know i would encourage my my kids to play basketball tennis badminton um, they went to gymnastics classes, swimming, you know, and I wasn't too fussed if they were elite or not elite. I just wanted them to have a really rounded um, perspective of sport and a really rounded experience. That, and, and also, you know, if you can, if you spot that sort of sense of the parent becoming involved who thinks their child should be on a pathway to, to greatness, you know, again, you can do a lot of work by just educating the parents about how to help support their child and, and not and not make it, you know, so black and white in terms of success or failure because it's never it's never black and white. In terms of specialization, then, would you have seen any sort of trend through your time, even working with Leinster now, where there's an awful lot of players coming through and there's this brilliant academy system, and even going back to when you were at the academy system in Leeds, would you have seen any trend of players who specialized from an early age to a late age, or players who were playing soccer and GEA to 15, 16, but it didn't hamper their rugby career? Or is it the other way, where actually a lot of players coming through are focusing fully from 14, 15 on the one sport? No, no, I, I would say um, typically in, in England, or certainly in the academy system I was involved in, you know, the, the specialisation into rugby only really truly happened around about when they left school at 18 and 19. Um, you know, most of the time they were doing a variety of different things. And actually, I would say, I'd argue strongly that the best players are the ones who actually had the broadest experiences in different sports. Um, so... You know the um, the invasion game of, of rugby. You know it is it is it's it's not exactly the same as other as other invasion sports. But the concept of space and playing to space and identifying space in basketball or in soccer or in hockey or in hurling or Gaelic football. You know they're all the same sort of concepts really. So the more you can play and the more you can get that that feel, um, the the better really. And some of the best. Footballers, I footballers and you know, rugby players, if you like, who, who've got the best decision makers, are the, the ones who played the most sports um, and got that rounded skill set. And then, you know, yes, you, you do narrow it down um, around about nineteen or twenty, 
Um, but a lot of people, I mean, I mean, England, there used to be an England under 16 team and eventually within the pathway, we did away with it because it was just creating false hopes and, and false impressions on players because the, the, the number of players that came through the 16s to England 20s was down to about 10%. Um, you can only really start to truly identify talent in rugby, for me, around about 20, 21 years old. Um, a lot, a lot of, and, and I say you know, the same thing. There's a lot of players I've coached at 18 who are perceived to be not good enough, who, you know, just with another couple of years, a bit more experience. And clearly, you know, in sport like rugby as well, you know, the physical element does play a part, there's mm. no doubt. You know, so physical genetics, if you like, but also the environment that people are brought up in um, plays a part. Um, and ultimately, the opportunity that players get um, plays a part. Yeah, th- that conversation uh, when they're 16 and they're the superstar of the team, and it's still a long way away, but they're looking at a Jordan Larmer or a James Ryan, it's hard to point out that they're almost the freaks of the system, that they're making that breakthrough as 19, 20-year-olds. So for the vast majority of players, actually, it is 22, 23 when you're finally physically ready to be a professional rugby player. Yeah, yeah, but also... Um... There's a, there's a study done on uh, the serial Olympians, the ones who've won the gold medals, you know, like not just one Olympic cycle, but two, three, four Olympic gold medals. And the ones, and it was uh, Anya Matnami who, who did this. She, she works out, out of DCU, I think. And uh, she, um, uh, she talks about the Rocky Road. Um, and, uh, um, you know, the, the people who've had no, uh, no obstacles in the way, in their, on the way, on the pathway through to you know the the top end. Usually, the ones who who don't have the resilience or the character or the um, the mindset to come through when adversity strikes. You know, whereas the people who've had to fight their way through the rocks, and it could be I don't know non-selection, it could be an injury, it could be whatever. You know, um, who've had to prove people wrong. They're the ones who typically come through, and the study showed that. Those serial gold medalists, they're the ones who always had worked their way through the rocky road. So actually, you know, if parents come to me and say, listen, oh, he's really disappointed not to have been picked, I'm going, this is a good thing for him. This is, this is, this'll, this'll help him in the long run because he'll have to, you know, start re- reflecting on his own level of performance, what he can do better and, and, you know, so on and so forth. And my own son would be an example. You know, he, he hasn't got picked for any age grade teams. He's a, he's a reasonably talented player. He's finally just broken into the England. 20 squad, um, but not having played in any age group teams before then. And I kept saying to him, stick in there, you know, because it's a, you know, it'll get you resilience and determination to, to get in there. And he's got his chance now. And are you, when he's now involved in that, uh, have you learned all your lessons and happy to stand on the side or does a little <laughs> bit of the tiger parent come back in again? Oh, no, no, no. I'm, 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 uh, I'd be definitely the guy um, in, in the background. Um, I, in fact, if anything, um, you know, quietly, I'd obviously speak to him about his game or, or, or whatever else, but I'd more spend my time with the coaches or if they wanted, you know, a chance to chat, that's where I would sort of divert my energy. Um, because, um, you know, I've learned, as you say, I've learned a lot by coming um, both as a teacher, academy manager, running the academy pathway in England, um, and now obviously comparing and contrasting, you know, the English system to the Irish system. Uh, you know, I find that's more beneficial to pass on my experience to the coaches. I read that when you were doing your coaching badges that you wrote a 10,000 word thesis called An Analysis into the Effectiveness of Changing My Coaching Behaviour to Create Mentally Stronger Individuals and a More Cohesive Team. 
what were the what were the principles that you came up with out of that? Distilled the ten thousand words into a nice little bite-sized chunk. <laughs> Very good um, research, Nathan. I'm impressed. Um, uh, so. Um, I guess the, the, the key thing, what I was trying to do was, I had a really talented group of um, 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds. Um, and I was looking at the ways in which I could get the most out of them and try and change um, their behaviors as players by changing my behaviors as coach. So rather than being so being directive all the time, by being more um, empowering sometimes, by being more questioning, um, and um, but also sometimes you know making sessions tough or putting rocks in the way as we said on the rocky road um, to try and create um, players who are going to be prepared to deal with the pressure of going into senior rugby which was obviously for Leeds at the time and also I wanted to really create challenging training sessions which meant that they became tighter as a group and um, became more cohesive and you know this was back in 2000 and three, I think I did it. Um, and I would stand to it now. In fact, I would say a lot of the principles that I apply, I applied then to that under 19 group, um, would be exactly the same principles that I apply here at Leinster. Um, and, but it, it, it was a really good project to do because it gave me the sort of the theory behind the practice as well. Mm. One thing that you clearly are very passionate about is leadership and you've done a leadership podcast with us here on Off The Ball that was really fascinating to listen to. And we've spoken a lot about what you've done at Leinster as well with some of the players involved, particularly with somebody like Gary Ringrose, who I think a lot of work has gone into developing his leadership qualities. And can you talk about the processes that go into that and not necessarily focusing just on Gary Ringrose, but is that something that can be transferred to youth sport and underage sport, that process of even at a young age, because you go into an under eight training session, the alpha male stands out already, and that can continue all the way up from under eight to under 16 to under 18, as to how you get young people to take more responsibility and more of a leadership role. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I, well, first of all, it's to get young people to learn that leadership is, a, to understand that leadership is a skill that can be learned. So I think, you know, we, as you say, we get this sort of perception when we're coming through the school that the same person's been captain in every age grade and this person takes all the responsibility and everyone else, you know, just lets the person take the responsibility. But, you know, what would be really effective in, in age grade teams is we shared the leadership roles and responsibilities. So we grew other leaders and we try and educate the, the players that, you know, leadership is a skill that can be learned. And, and it starts with self-awareness, understanding your own personality and um, what makes you tick and what gets the best out of you and maybe what motivates you. And also, what are the qualities that you need to bring to bring the best out in other people? So that sort of self-awareness, um, social awareness, relationship management piece. I actually think in, in schools, they should have, um, as part of the curriculum, uh, a, you wouldn't necessarily assess it or, or give an exam on it, but some, some element of leadership development or emotionally intelligent um, uh, development um, or communication skills or how to become more, uh, confident when speaking in meetings. Um, I mean, there's a great quote um, that uh, confidence comes from competence. So often to, people wait a long time to become confident, but what we should be doing is trying to increase our, our competence, which means obviously in the end, we become more confident. So with, with, with the Leinster players, I guess my, my sort of leadership evolution, you know, I, I ended up um, a bit of a rocky road at school, but um, I, I got there in the end, I guess. I ended up in leadership positions. Then I went to university and I was back at the bottom of the sort of 
pile again um, as a first year in a, in, in a, in a big um, sporting university. Um, and then I gravitated up to a third year and, and more leadership responsibility again. Then I went into a teaching um, environment and I was back at the bottom again. And then I sort of worked my way up to, you know, a more um, responsibility. I was getting to my late twenties and thirties. But my point is, and I was playing obviously rugby, which was amateur at the time, and then went professional and, and again gravitated to more leadership responsibilities. But I was never taught how to become better as a leader. It just happened by almost experience. And then I went on a leadership course as part of my level five coaching qualification um, with England. And um, it was at Ashley's Business School. And it was less about the technical and tactical, more about the, uh, the fundamentals of leadership. And it basically opened the door to my understanding of the theory of leadership. And then what I try and do now with the Leinster lads is if I'm, you know, just turned over 50 now and, and had all that experience from that, that moment onwards and another 20 years to add to it, um, I try and pass on what I've learned to your Gary Ringroses, your James Ryans, your Robbie Henshaws, um, Luke McGrath and all, all the young leaders in the Leinster team who will be the future leaders. What I learned at 32, why can't they learn that at 22? Mm. Um, and that's, I guess... That's that's what I try and do. You know, I give them a lot of stuff um, and hope that some of it sticks. You know, maybe it won't all stick for all the players, but we're trying also to grow the voices of all the players in the group. So generally, my experience over here is that they'd be um, a little bit more quiet than 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 um, groups I've coached in England. So trying to grow that that um, that voice um, and their point of view out, out of the group. Um, that, that's coming through the system here at Leinster. Why do you think that is? Why do you think the young Irish players I don't, I don't are not I mean, I, I guess I'm interested for the people who are listening to maybe reflect on it as well. Um, perhaps, perhaps it's it's part of the um, the school system. I don't know where whereby a lot of them would have come maybe from some of the um, the bigger rugby schools, and um, you know, such is the strength of this of the schools in Leinster. Um, the quality of the coaching and the quality of environments is phenomenal. I mean, you know, I, I, you look at some of the best schools in England, like your Millfields or um, your Sempers or whatever, the big rugby schools. And but over here, it's because the schools cover them, because of this drive towards to win this this competition. Um, that that really does generate a really um, high level of coaching and performance and intensity um, around that that particular trophy, which I didn't realise till I came here. But alongside that. You know, we need to make sure that we balance the desire to win that trophy with the need to grow individuals and and not to make it so directive. I'm not saying it is because I've not been in the environments, but, you know, I just get the sense that they come out of that environment, which is so, um, so intense. And then suddenly the they're in an academy with completely different group of players. And, you know, it's not quite as comfortable because, you know, it's not it's not prescribed there. It's more more open-ended so perhaps that's the reason um i don't know I, I guess um let's say whether people generally people like uh some of the lads i coach are more introverted and extroverted is just the fact that they've come from that sort of environment and, and that's their family background i don't know you're obviously uh, very well aware then with the uh school setup in ireland and the leinster schools cup and how important it is and the fact that even though it's a schools competition there's eight or 16 page spreads in newspapers when it's on that it's it's such a big deal around the inclusivity side of it then have you taken much time to look at that around ireland and how it is still focused on quite a few schools that were in a scenario still where quite often if leinster are playing you might have 
12, 13 of the starting 15 come from the private school system and what other talent is out there around the country that actually if rugby can get into those heartlands, which they're doing bit by bit, the sort of talent that could come through if the investment goes into those other areas. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm, well, I know for a fact that Leinster definitely are doing that, and I'm sure Munster, Connor, and Ulster are, are, are the same, you know, because, um, you know, it's a small population in Ireland to draw from, and obviously when you've got competing sports, such as soccer, obviously the GA sports, you know, it's, there's only so much time to go around, but um, uh, there's no doubt that the value that, that players such as Kieran Frawley or Tyg Furlong or my first arrived here, Sean O'Brien, you know, the guys who come down a different route, they add diversity and um, different perspectives and different skills and, and, and mindsets, um, you know, if they haven't come through the particular system. So I'm, I'm, I'm all for, you know, let's, let's broaden it out to get as many people interested in sport as possible. But if it means that someone wants to be excellent in, in you know, Gaelic football or hurling or whatever, then great. You know, I've got no bias, you know, particularly towards rugby. My bias is towards sport um, and to make sure that people um, get get the benefits of sport, you know, and, and if you can get it when you are fit enough to play in those sort of elite teams, that'll stay with you. Those life skills that you'll get will, will stay with you for forever and they'll transfer into your your work and your your life as well and hopefully then that becomes a a drip feed into the wider society as well you mentioned gaelic games i think a few ga coaches have been in with you i saw some photographs of the mayo manager james horan in at one stage watching leinster training there does seem to be a very open attitude at that elite level of coaching now that actually people are more than happy to welcome other coaches in and to share the secrets as they may well have been seen once upon a time. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's always been my philosophy, really. So I've never been, you know, I've, I've, had, I've had the benefit of being invited into or got the opportunity to go into many environments. And, you know, if ever we get the opportunity or if ever I get the opportunity to share something I've learned, I will 100% um, take it, you know, as, as my way of doing my piece, if you like. Um, and... Um, you know, I think I remember I was asked to speak at the um, uh, the Gaelic Games conference, a coaching conference. There must have been about 800 people there at Croke Park. And, um, you know, my my experiences of what, what it feels like to coach on a Tuesday, Thursday, play on a Saturday, you know, that was my life, really. That's how I was brought up and how, how I coached. You know, I wasn't always been in this full-time environment. So I think the lessons that I've learned um, in those environments um, – it's rewarding to pass them on. And then also what you get back in return and what I've learned since I've been in Ireland for the last, you know, four or five years is how elite, you know, those sports are as well and how much we can learn from them. You know, whether it's, you know, we've also got Dublin and, you know, Jim, Jim Gavin, I've met a few times and there'll be lots of others actually. I mean, I won't name them all um, because I know it's quite a competitive world out there in Gaelic uh, sports, but... Um, They'll all be ringing you up after this. <laughs> no, there's been well, there's been a lot I've spoken to privately, and and had really, really good, interesting conversations. Um, and the level of coaching and and expertise, and I, I'm, I'm not just saying because I live in Ireland. Whether it's the school system, the academy system here at Leinster, the investments going into the clubs, or within the Gaelic sports, I, I, you know, I've, I've had less contact in soccer, obviously, um, but um, I think I think it's there's a very high level of coaching that goes on. Um, and, you know, as a consequence, hopefully getting the most out of the talent pool that's in the country. 
you're obviously operating at a very high level at rugby at the moment, and I'm sure you hope that stays that way over the coming years. But but it sounds the way you talk and how passionate you are just in general about sport and leadership. Do you see a, a position in years to come, maybe a decade down the line, where it's not just rugby, where there's a, a greater job out there around Sport Ireland, Sport England, where actually you can have an influence on, on all forms of sport? Um, I definitely, I definitely um, really enjoy um, sharing what I've learned. So, like in, in, in England, you know, you've got Sports Coach UK, you've got UK Sport, you know, I'd regularly present at conferences there, you know, and they're the mainly the Olympic sports, I guess. Um, I've presented to the Football Association. I'm on the Technical Advisor Board for the Football Association. I've presented the England Cricket Coaching Conference. Um, uh, I've presented to head teachers, to um, heads of rugby, um, heads of PE. You know, so I'll probably do a lot of that um, anyway. Um, I think, you know, my I guess my personal goal would be to... Um, to coach, to, to keep coaching as long as I can, because if I can keep coaching, then I'm, I'm I'm continually having to challenge myself to get better and to grow as a coach, um, to study coaching and study leadership. Um, and then as you do the theory side of the study, if you like, and you're doing the practical side, so every game, every week you've got a game and some games go well and some games don't and some sessions you do go well and some sessions they don't. Then you're building your own experience, which I think makes it more transferable to pass on to other coaches. And, um, you know, if, I, if let's say my coaching career goes till, I don't know, whenever, mid 60s, 70, whoever, whoever, what I'd love to do ultimately is to, is to be involved in coach development for sure, leadership development. Um, uh, because I'm starting now to get phone calls from players I used to coach who become coaches. Um, and that sort of mentoring process is very rewarding i find and i'm saying it because there's three guys who mentored me who are now in their mid-70s who in fact my old um uh lecturer who taught me pe he's just turned 80 and i had a conversation with him the other day and he taught me so much so you know if i think so highly of those people who are in their mid-70s now you know that's that's the role i would like to play you know in in, in the future as well Stuart, it's been brilliant to talk to you. You've been great with your time. We didn't even talk uh, Leinster. We might uh, talk rugby at some stage over the coming weeks when we, when we get into the Six Nations and you can look at what's happening uh, with the various countries and the various tactics. We'd love to talk to you in a few weeks about all that. But you've been brilliant uh, to come on as part of our series on the future of Irish sport. And it's always great to get your insight. Thanks a lot for joining us. No problem. Thanks. Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, official sponsors of the Irish rugby team. Team of us. Everyone in. The OTB Podcast Network with Green Farm on the go. Snack smart with 100% natural protein powered chicken bites. 